Welcome to season three of Flop Stars. If you've joined us before, it's much the same. We'll take an album that we feel was criminally underrated or ignored on the charts and unpack it. In the past, we've taken on Charlie XCX, Carly Rae Jepsen, Taylor Swift, Katy Perry, and more. And for this episode, we are taking on Years and Years' Communion. I'm joined, as always, by Nick Kelly. How are you, Nick? Hi, Sam. I'm really excited about this one. Um, Years and Years uh, have a very soft spot in my heart. Um, I have travelled the world for this band, which I can't say I have done so for many other acts over the journey. Um, And obviously, you know, this one's particularly back in our eyesight and the thought of years and years back in our eyesight because lead singer Ollie Alexander is starring in It's a Sin, which has just premiered on, uh, I think, HBO Max in the US. It has, yes. What's it on in Australia? It's on Stan in Australia, who continually get all the great shows for Australia. They've just, um, the the exciting news about RuPaul's Drag Race uh, d- down Sorry. under <laughs> on Stan is leaking. For context, guys, Sam, Sam is sitting in some of the world's most glaring sun in New York City right now. And he's just been adjusting the blind for like the last five minutes to get it right. You look great now. The sun has just ducked below the building, so I I no longer look like I'm Jesus coming back down to earth, which is very appropriate for this episode, but I'll talk more about that later. Sorry, go on. I love this. Yeah, um, so it's on it's on stand in Australia, the the series, and you know, it's it's broken if you've watched It's a Sin so far, it has broken your heart into a thousand pieces and caused you to rebuild it again, made you take stock of everything that's important in life, and educated you about yeah. Um, you know, a, a really critical juncture in LGBTQIA plus history, um, the AIDS crisis in the 80s and how it unfolded in the UK. Um, and, you know, it's fascinating watching Ollie in that space because he's so yeah. good at acting that you almost forget he's also a pop star. I know. It's bizarre. <laughs> but I f- it's, that it's obviously such a heartbreaking series. Um, and if you're not the kind of person who who likes um, dramas and pretty heavy dramas, I would suggest you turn off at episode two because it takes quite a turn. But the series also like features music as such a prominent part of it and the music of the 80s. And um, it's it's such a soundtrack to the these joyous and like communal times that all these friends in London in the 80s have from house parties to clubs. And in a weird way, it kind of helped me contextualise years and years as music and where they should be going as well. Obviously, I don't think they really borrow from the 80s too much in terms of their sound, maybe here and there. But just the the way that they exp- the way that they kind of have soundtracked some of the best experiences of my life and some of the most joyous experiences. It was weird to watch it and just like remember what it's like to be out dancing with people again and to be close with all your friends and to be able to touch your friends obviously in, in an appropriate manner. <laughs> with, with consent. It's, it's yes. an interesting one um, because, yeah, I feel like a lot of the sort of traditional acts that would have influenced people like Ollie when Ollie was growing up would be that kind of, you know, Elton, George Michael, um, 
you know, I, I feel as a million other names I could say, Pet Shop Boys. Um, mm-hmm. And you would expect the music to sound like that, but the music doesn't sound like that. The music is in its own world. It's evolved from the first album that we're touching on today, Communion, which was a very, um, I did say a, a rude quote, but I actually like it from the New York Times saying it's diet club music. Because it kind of is. <laughs> it is a rude quote. It's- I actually think um, it was from a mostly positive review, though. It was, yeah. Um, now, we should uh, specify why we're putting it into Flop Stars. So, the album... Yeah. Yeah, do you want to... This is very that? important. I just want to say quickly, because we got a little bit roused on, on the Pophead subreddit <laughs> this week, for choosing some of the albums we have... And calling them a flop. In particular, we got in trouble for Jesse Wears What's Your Pleasure and we got in trouble for Little Mix's Glory Days. So I feel like we need to specify. Okay, yeah. We are not calling this like the absolute flop of flops. It doesn't mean that nobody liked it and it tanked on the charts. It's kind of a springboard for us to be able to talk about a point in an artist's career where maybe they weren't breaking it in a certain market. Maybe they didn't have the critics on board. Maybe some of the fans didn't understand it. So it's not all about this being a terrible disaster. And this is particularly pertinent this week because Communion is not a disaster. It's not a commercial disaster at all. It has quite a few hits, but When you think about it in the context of the world, it didn't exactly set the US on fire. Totally. And it also didn't position them as like up the like top of the pop kind of crop of 2015. So it definitely exploded them on the scene, but I still think there was kind of an alternative slant to years and years. And also it's a great album. And I think it's it's good to talk about years and years right now. So basically we just use the word flop to talk about whoever we want to talk about. It's broad terminology. I've just found so leave the, us alone. I've just found the subreddit, by the way. Um, I love that we're also being roused on for the title of the podcast because there's a couple of other podcasts called Flop Stars that haven't posted episodes in about four years, which I love. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> But no, shout outs to the um to the Flop Stars, um to the to the subreddit about our episode about my December because um, we really appreciate people sharing and, and helping us find new fans for the podcast and hopefully you like this one too. Um, I mean, let's talk about our first experiences with years and years because I have a very distinct memory of my first discovery of the band. Um, I remember yeah. Pop Justice, the incredible pop music website out of the UK, had posted about um, a little sort of voice memo that uh, Ollie had, had, had made that ended up on the album called Memo, just yeah. him and a piano, heartbreaking as hell um yeah and just thinking like this guy's voice is like i haven't heard a voice like this in a while it just feels really authentic you can tell he's british um he's he can hit all sorts of notes and i kind of just yeah. like fell in love with it but i was like i think this will just be a song that i like i don't know if i'm gonna get invested in this band and then within weeks yeah. of that i think king dropped and pop justice was all over king as well and that song, I literally felt a seismic shift in pop music that day. Oh, and like yeah. the celebration of pop music because it was just a world-beating hit. There's few songs that I vividly remember hearing for the first time and remember thinking this is like the absolute tits. And I remember the first time hearing King and being like, holy shit, this is just an absolutely mammoth pop song. I'd heard Take Shelter on SoundCloud, as you did back in the day. Yeah, well, that's and I where was I first heard Memo as well. I feel like they did have some work in the SoundCloud world 
that really started to they find were definitely like coming up through the soundcloud like community yeah. i feel like and I, I did notice in the interview today where ollie was talking about how they started to watch the numbers on some of their songs grow on soundcloud and being like this is going beyond a hobby maybe this is going to be something big That's fascinating. and i just remember take shelter being like this is really good like the beat was pretty like major laser-esque um there was nothing like overly different about that but there was something about the tone of ollie's voice and the way he approached songwriting which like really grabbed me and i think he has the runs of like an early 2000s like female r&b singer but then he has the pop sensibility of like britney spears with like the club kind of chops of some of the house DJs like the Calvin Harris's of that time as well. And it was all smushed into one. And I was like, my pop nostalgia was just going into overload because it was picking up on so many influences. But I was like, they haven't had their moment just yet. And then when King happened, it was like, boom. Out and of this world. Straight, straight to number one, straight into the top five in Australia. The kind of song that doesn't even need to be pushed with like a viral campaign or anything. It's just too good to be ignored. Well, we did do a viral campaign on my old blog, Project U. We did um, hashtag Kingwatch, where we encouraged yeah. folks to um, send in where they were hearing it, whether it was on the radio or in a shop, um, or if they saw it on a, a weird chart somewhere. And we tracked its kind of progress, particularly in Australia, where more people were hearing it in the supermarket and more people were hearing it on you know, the radio in the cities yeah. and stuff. And gradually we watched it, we watched it, we watched it get through that top 200 on iTunes and eventually to the top five. Um, and it was, it was so exciting to watch, you know, a song that people, I feel like that was a really special event kind of pop song where people, yeah. you know, it was kind of one of those songs that comes out from a band and you don't know much about the band, but on the song's value, people get around yeah. it. And they're always the ones that excite me the most. You can even look more recently at Driver's License where, yes, there was controversy yeah. around it, but everyone got around the damn song. Um, and I think King was, you know, on a, on a, obviously on a less, you know, um, uh, significant uh, scale um, definitely an event pop song where everyone kind of unanimously agreed that this was something special um, and that this band had a had had a, a unique kind of thing to to bring to the world um, I'd love to touch on that unique thing they bring to the world like what yeah. do you think when King was being pushed into radio and, and communion was being built and they were finding their fans what were they were they a band were they Ollie but with a couple of people surrounding, what did you kind of feel they were positioned as? Yes, yeah, so this is interesting because, and it kind of lends into what you were saying before, that there wasn't really a story built about years and years before King really hit. Obviously now Ollie has become such a profound um, leader of the queer community and such a... Um, mm. Uh, like such a powerful activist in that space as well. And I feel like he truly has his own story. And I think a lot of people are aware that Ollie is the lead singer of years and years and in many ways embodies years and years. But at this time, I, I really think they were a band. I mean, Ollie didn't start the band. It was started by um, the Australian in the band Mikey. whose name, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it genuinely started as a band they all produced the record together they all wrote the record together there's very little outside involvement um apart from mark ralph who's done stuff for like clean bandit and jess glynn he produced on the album mm. um but apart from that it's kind of very 
not affected by the outside pop world. And in that way, I really think they were a band. Like, even their early covers, Ollie wasn't on any of them. Like, they were all cartoons or they were all, like, digital designs. It wasn't until the second record that he kind of came out as the real front man of the group yeah and that is just so wild to me that this a song like king took off without there really being a story attached to it and you're right it's just testament to the strength of the song that it was able to do that do you agree that 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 there was no real like face of years and years at that point absolutely i think when i i I think it's it's hard to say because I feel like Ollie has such a distinct he really stands out on a song mm-hmm. you know you couldn't just slap any old vocalist onto King and make it work because he's got this kind of <laughs> yeah. like he's not the world's most perfect vocalist either and he's not the world's no. like he's not got a huge kind of like stomach voice he's very sort of yeah. like mouth voice and when he's hitting those really big strong notes in the chorus of King you know they don't feel like they're being sung by like a baritone or like a, you know, a great singer. Yeah. They, they feel like they're just being sung with passion and intensity. Yeah. Um, and I kind of think that allows Ollie to stand out from, you know, as the lead, the front person of the band. But if we're talking about the story and this is a conversation, people that, you know, when they're look to looking at new artists, there's always this whole thing of like, there needs to be a story. I just don't think there does. Most of the time. I just think if you've got a song that people will gravitate to on first listen, that's a story in itself. Yeah. That's a, the, the story can be as simple as three friends who met in London. That's all it needs to be. There doesn't need to be this yeah. big soppy backstory I, to it. I do think the story can develop, but you're mm. right. I think yeah. too often now we put the story before the song, whereas the song should always lead. Absolutely. And I mean, coming back to the driver's license thing, obviously there was that whole story behind it and this whole kind of like Disney love triangle drama. But I didn't know about that until days after I'd already like confirmed to myself that the song was great. Thank you. So I do think like we need to leave this story led shit behind. And like, I don't care how many followers you've got on TikTok or like. (laughs) how many weeks into quarantine you were when you recorded this song is it a good song or is it not and then we can talk about the context later and in this like years and years just kept coming through with great songs and it didn't fucking matter where it came from it didn't matter whether he was like gay straight alien like whatever it like these were just great songs and then we started to learn more about them and we started to understand it more and i think by the end of the time we got to the end of the communion era, we kind of really knew a lot about years and years and a lot about Ollie, but King, and then uh, you can even go, like say it for Shine as well. They're just phenomenal pop songs. There were a and couple like of- one after the other. Totally. There were a couple of touch points I feel that people were able to connect to the band with. I feel like they had a bit of a Bastille feeling to them. They, you know, also a trio, yeah. um, you know, with a really defined front person. Um, that you know just made really accessible interesting pop music and i think there was probably a bit of a touch point to be able to latch onto that for the uk audience for example and i know when years and years were coming through there were a few sort of contemporary uh, there were a few sort of um emerging acts coming up at the same time there was a a great group from denmark i think called off bloom who um who are still making music at the moment and they were kind of coming releasing an album in a few weeks yeah and there's a very 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 interesting collaborator on there um, 
who maybe we'll talk about this in the segment we do at the end where we're looking at new music. Um, okay. But they, they, like there were a few bands happening at the time, like pop bands, which I felt like had been missing for yeah. a little while. You had pop soloists, not pop bands coming through. Um, yeah. And this was kind of this new era of, you know, this, this resurgent era of pop bands getting together and meeting, you know, in a creative hub and crafting music together. Um, I think as well, I've forgotten what I was going to say uh, as the second point there, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> I liked the first one, so you can let Great. it go. Thank you. <laughs> I, I do think though that it was a time when um, the alternative kind of blog pop scene was starting to seep back into the mainstream again. Uh, particularly in Australia and the UK. I mean, it's always a bit slower to happen in the US where they're really kind of driven by major label pop stars. But definitely you could see what was happening in the blogs and what Pop Justice was talking about was starting to make its way onto the charts. Yep. And in many ways, I think, it came to define the sound of Britpop for many years. I think King particularly kind of set the blueprint for a lot of big electro pop songs that came after it. I think as well, like, it reminded you you can just make a really fucking big pop song and it doesn't have to yeah. be weird and, you know, the beat does the beat can just be a four to the floor. Your synths can be loud. That kind of yeah. combo works perfectly every time. Um, and, you know, we'd had a couple of years there where, you know, hip-hop was, was starting to dominate the charts and you had all this really interesting stuff going on at the time. Um, in the yeah. chart world, you also had a lot of like electro kind of pop going on as well. Um, and this kind of felt like a, as much as it is an electro pop song, if you really drill it down, it also had this kind of live, airy, breathable feel to it. It felt real yeah. as well. And it felt like a real, let me get this out kind of sensation. I want to go to like a kind of tussle that, I mean, Pitchfork and NME usually of the polar opposites of each other. Generally, NME goes crazy for any British act and Pitchfork trashes them. <laughs> like, NME thinks that, like, the vaccines, for example, were the second coming of Christ. Pitchfork doesn't agree <laughs> so much. But in this case, it was flipped, and NME gave communion two stars and said it was a debut that takes no risks and has nothing to say, whereas Pitchfork um, argued that they didn't need to take risks or they didn't need to be reinventing the wheel. They were just like making great pop music. And it said years and years don't dilute this formula. The formula that they're talking about is like um, electro pop, MGMT, Disclosure, Sam Smith. Mm. They don't dilute this formula. They distill it. I love that. So I feel like it's just like a purified version of all these kind of pop influences from the last few decades. And that there's a simplicity to the whole album that I think was misconstrued for kind of like a, a vagueness or like a, a, a lack of creative energy in there, which I don't think is true at all. Like, I just think it's just from start to finish flawless pop record that so expertly synthesizes all these pop influences and still manages to make something that's like their own and is uniquely years and years beautifully said i think that's a really good point you can't you can't be constantly reinventing the wheel because no and especially doing it for the sake of it 
because that's when you start to lack authenticity by trying to do mm-hmm. constantly do something new. You often lack authenticity, and I think if you look at artists who do constantly reinvent the wheel, um, let's go big, let's go Madonna. She constantly yeah. reinvents herself, but sometimes her biggest fa- failures um, and flaws have been that she constantly reinvents herself when yeah. something is still working, something she still gravitates towards and she still likes, but she feels she has to evolve the sound and evolve yeah. the vibe. And it doesn't always work that way because it's not authentic to who she is a lot of the time. She's trying to be something that she's not, particularly in her later releases. And I think, yeah, this this felt like a a refreshing album because it wasn't trying to push the needle too far. It's and, and it's not that's not to say that like every song is just a straight up four to the floor pop song. It's still very interesting production. Um, yeah, and it's absolutely. got some. It's got great moments of light and shade. You've got memo with Ollie and a piano, and I think there's another couple of tracks that are like that. Um, and then you've got the you know the big bangers like King and and Shine. Um, yeah. So it's definitely got yeah, it's definitely got some interesting elements to it. But you're right, it doesn't have to reinvent the wheel. Let's uh, do a little song game. Yes. And let's go back to 2015 in the UK. So um, King and Shine, obviously two of the biggest singles in the country for that year. But what I want to do is put up songs from this album against songs that also made it into the top 40 highest selling songs in the UK that year. And many of the songs on this list also made it into the top selling songs in the US and Australia as well. But for the... For the purpose of this game, we're going to keep it UK, but UK based. I like this. Uh, so, so the first one we're doing is Shine. Versus Elastic Heart by Sia. Ooh, okay, interesting. My thoughts on Both Sia. Very sing-songy. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's try and. Um, Let's try and remember Sia. Let's try and contextualise Sia for 2015. Yeah. And I think, did we go, did you come to, we went to the show, didn't we? The, we did, yeah. in the pouring rain. God, it was awful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she was fine, but God, that rain was in relentless. It was terrible, um, terrible. There's no one there as well, just for just for clarity. Anyway, uh, Elastic Heart, not one of my favourite Sia songs. I think it's it, it suffers from that, too much going on, that trappy kind of light trap production, not here for it. Um, definitely more of a cheap thrills girl myself. Um, <laughs> from If we're talking about that thousand You should listen fear. to the music soundtrack then because there's about four songs on it that sound like note cheap for note, like cheap Perfect. thrills. Perfect. I'm here for it. Give yep. it to me. Hook it up to my veins <laughs> with an IV drip and a problematic lead, ca- lead actor. Um, I'm going to go shine on this one. Stick with years and years. I think it's just a, it's another perfect pop song. Yeah. Shine's so good. Elastic Heart is actually one of my favorite Sia ones because I feel like it's one of her most interesting wonky productions that she made like post making it big, Mm. um, globally. And I really like her voice on it. I like when The weekend is on it as well, but I think she... I actually forgot he was on it until just then. Was that but the I one that... Like him. Elastic Heart was the one with the video with Shia LaBeouf in it, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, more more problematic. God, behavior. what is wrong with um, that woman? <laughs> <laughs> but Shine is, Shine is a cut above. I feel like it's just such a... Um, yeah. 
oh, it's hard to explain, isn't it? Just the way he gradually builds with his voice and he comes in over those really like aquatic synths at the start and then explodes to just this pure pop chorus that I feel like sometimes we're so starved of just a chorus that's so obvious and so just totally. handed to you on a platter. Um, so definitely shine. You should say the words aquatic synths again. I liked that. <laughs> Aquatic sense. Great phrase. (laughs) Oh my god. Um Yeah. Yeah. Shine. Yeah. Alright, we're we're in agreement on that. The next one is King. Versus Sorry by Justin Bieber. I knew you'd go something strong here. I knew you would. I know. It was. I had to really comb through this list to figure out what was going to be the best contender. I, still I feel re- like it's right. I still remember uh, driving in peak hour traffic, listening to Kyle and Jackie O, and then playing Sorry for the first time. Um, <laughs> I'm surprised you went at a fast food restaurant like your normal first listening experience. Fuck off. <laughs> I'd probably so it was Lady Lady Gaga at McDonald's, Katy Perry at the coffee club, Zane at Grilled. <laughs> I was I was driving through. I remember I was on Ride Ride Road. Um, if anyone's familiar with Sydney, um, I was on Ride Road in peak hour. Fifty percent of US listeners will be very happy with that. I was drinking in. a shit house Seven Eleven coffee, full cream milk, large. There you go. Terrible. God, I was an unhealthy person, and I still am, if we're being realistic about this. Um, and I remember hearing that and just being like, I literally, like, this song is like, this song is like ecstasy. Like, everything is perfect in this. Everything is where I want it. Yeah. Everything is, like, predictable, but in the best way possible, but also unpredictable. Like, I didn't expect it to go as wild as it does. You know, those, he- yeah. again, it's got, su- like, real trap elements to it as well, but in a really pop sensibility. Um, it's a perfect pop song. That said... King is more perfect and more of a moment and Ooh. is the pop song of that year. Um, and in my opinion, like, it's hard because I feel like Biebs also did kind of follow up Sorry Perfectly with Friends, which I, I put in the same category as Sorry. Um, yeah. And I just feel like King was more of a moment and more of a, you know, it's more, it, it's, less dis- it's less sort of uh, manufactured as well. And I, I love the breathable yeah. quality of, of King. I feel like I'm speaking about 100 thread count sheets. But yeah, it's King for me. I'm staying two from two for years and years. God, 2015 was just such a good year for those really like big pop moments. And then it yep. disappeared. And then last year it came back finally. I know. But this is just, um, this battle kind of exemplifies what was going on perfectly and that we were finally getting these like amazing pre-choruses and just like such melodic bridges and and weird drops and like evolving production finally and the Skrillex and Diplo kind of team up around this time was really magic yep um and yeah sorry totally sorry is the song that kind of took the Biebs from being somebody that was being joked about quite a bit and being dismissed quite a bit and turned him into a megastar and a position that I think he's he's been able to hold pretty successfully since Sorry. Obviously, What Do You Mean set him up, but I think Sorry, like, sealed the deal. Yeah. But King is... King could win most battles in this song game, I feel like, if we're talking about just a pure pop song that 
can prick up anybody's ears. I feel like I could play this to anybody, like a five-year-old or a 60-year-old, and they would find some value in King. And that's that's so hard to make. It's even harder to make on one of your first singles. So got to be King. You should go and quant- since at the start. You should oh. go and quantify that research by finding a random five-year-old, costing them on the street and putting headphones on them. And well, I'm just looking outside now. You see any? Just yell at someone. Yeah. Oi. <laughs> just... And then throw Oi. throw a bo- UE boom out out the window. No, I'll just sing at them. I'll just go. <laughs> You're right about those synths, by the think? way. What do you reckon? <laughs> You're right about those synths as well. Um, they just feel like they feel. There's definitely got to be like a magic um, song exploder about this, but like they just open your ears straight away and they tell you something good's about to happen. They yeah. literally light the first glimmers of sunshine in the morning. You know those songs at a festival where you hear like a, a millisecond of it and it's like the energy automatically is like transformed into a new space? 100%. That's king. That's king. And we had, the, I think you were there as well the year that um, Years and Years played Splendor in the Grass, but their equipment didn't make it in time. Yes. And they ended up having to play, I think they flew out just for the one gig, just for the Splendor gig, and it didn't make it in time. I And so they had to play the set acoustically yeah. at the last minute. I, and we didn't get to hear the King since, and I was pissed off. Which was devastating. I had the absolute pleasure that year of, um, of going backstage just as they had arrived. Um, just before their, like a couple of hours before their set. Shut up. Um, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'll go and say hello. And and I walked up to Ollie and the boys were just, were super stressed. And I was like, oh, what's going on? Like, Our gear didn't arrive and it's not going to arrive today. So, and I think they had to borrow, I, I think Japanese wallpaper, the Australian <laughs> producer, lended a, a synth, which um, Emery then tweaked to sound like his synth as, as yeah. best he could um and then i think mikey borrowed some instruments from another act i think alpine potentially um the band landed a couple of of synths wow and they just put together this ad hoc set which was still really lovely um and and had this real kind of like crowd involvement vibe to it and it wasn't rehearsed and it wasn't perfect yeah. but that was kind of the magic of it and then they came back the next year and and played from memory um, and played the full kind of set. And by that point, they'd grown their fan base, you know, four or five times bigger yeah. um, as well. And Well, maybe King yeah. hadn't even really hit by the... Like, hadn't really started growing. Splendour, which is, for context, our, our big Australian music festival every year. It's a three-day festival in a, you know, in a remote part of the country. It's kind of like our Coachella, but a little bit um, less sort of huge and crazy. Um, yeah. It's... Um, it always has a knack of booking acts and then having a moment just as the festival hits. Like yeah, I remember, like um, like I recall Sam Smith, very very sort yes. of like just as Stay with Me playing was playing a very small tent. Yeah, yeah, and it was beautiful. Yeah. One of them, my, one of my favorite memories of that. Uh, Broods played just as they were having a big hit with Bridges for the first time. Um, yeah. Illy, the the rapper who'd had some hits before, but he just had his first big pop crossover hit with a song called Paper Cuts, and he played the yeah. tent literally seconds after it had been announced the song had gone number one. So they've had a habit of booking acts that are just, you know, about to break into the... Lily the Allen, so. just as Jesus was about to <laughs> tank. <laughs> 
<laughs> I still remember at the Lily Allen one, sitting side of stage watching another band, and then the giant milk, um, the giant baby bottles that were yeah. part of the stage were planted directly in front of my view, and so I couldn't see the band that was on stage because Lily <laughs> Allen's baby bottle was in the way. <laughs> I remember her looking down at the police, like the security guard standing in the front row. And she's like, hello, hello, boys. boys. (laughs) (laughs) Poor thing was was not going through a good period at that time. I don't think she was. Anyway, Uh, anyway, it's not about Lily. We will do Lily one day. Um, We did Lily. No, we didn't. Yeah, we did. We did not. I'm 90% sure we've done Lily. Let me look. We have not done You read the next one and I'll work that out. Well, I've got to read the next one to you because you've got to answer it. So I need your attention. Oh my God, we haven't done Lily Allen. (laughs) Oh, we should do that. (laughs) There's an idea for you. (laughs) Okay, talk to me. (laughs) Can't wait for you to suggest we do years and years. (laughs) Um, Okay, the next one is a bit of a ballad heavy one. Because okay. I'm a soppy little bitch. Eyes shut. Versus Love Me Like You Do by Ellie Goulding. I think you've skipped one. I have skipped one. Okay, we'll go back to that one. But let's okay, do cool. this one. Uh, yeah, I think Eyes Shut is like the sleeper hit of the album. Um, and again, I think if you, if you think of it in a festival context, that chorus, because it's so kind of a cappella. Um, yeah hits just beautifully it's just a great sort of arms in the air sing along um same could be said though for Guldo's love me like you do which is you know such a magic song um who wrote it was tove low wrote it right as part of wolf cousins with max martin and Ilya and savin katecha and stuff it was like that little combo um, when they i'll get you an answer when they let a woman that sounds right it was definitely a um max martin yes you're right. Boom. You're exactly right. Ding! Um, ding, ding. Yeah, that's a that's a magic song and such a big, expansive pop song. It's so. This is actually possibly harder than King versus Sorry for me, um, because they both got such yes. redeeming qualities to them. I think I think I'm just gonna have to go. Love me like you do, because that song is perfect from Go to Woe. I think Eyes Shut is yeah. great, but Eyes Shut really just lifts to the chorus. That's where it, where its real magic happens. Um, whereas yeah. the Ellie Golding song, I think you know, there's some real beautiful moments on it um, from start to from top to tail. So it's going to be one for Guldo for me. Eyes Shut is such a like intimate, um, really gentle moment and like some phenomenal vocal work from Ollie in that song. Yeah. However, there's a point at which Love Me Like You Do just begins to take flight and it just takes off. Yeah. And that's just like Max Martin magic right there. And I just don't think you can beat that. So I've got to got to give it to Love Me Like You Do as well. Beautifully We're said. really in agreement on everything. I know right I want to have a let's fight with you. the final one can break it. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> uh, the last one is Desire. Is it Verse, can't feel my face by the weekend. Ooh. This is hard. I I am well known for going through phases of not being a weekend fan at all. Um, yeah. Most recently, I wasn't really giving a shit much, but then um, when he didn't get nominated for any Grammys, I decided to be 
the weekend number one stand. <laughs> um, justice for the weekend. Yeah. And then when he um, his Super Bowl performance, I think we're all a lot of people didn't like it, but I thought it was incredible. And I remember the first. I think I was with you at Coachella watching the weekend. Yeah. Um, on I think night one or two and at, at that point I was like I do not give a fuck about this man like I would rather go back to our silly little resort and swim in the pool um, and then I, <laughs> then I watched it and I was like holy shit he can sing yeah I remember how good that was, that was it was like mind blowing performance and I was the same boat I was like oh take a leave it don't really care yeah um, it was but yeah. it was phenomenal he was so fucking good and this is for a guy that isn't like a natural born like stage performer very much no, a musician's musician. Um, but he, he was incredible. And so that's given me a new appreciation for The weekend. And obviously Can't Feel My Face was, you know, that first big pop crossover moment for him um, working with Max Martin and just a, a really perfect kind of song um, yeah. with that really kind of funky kind of production that Can't Stop the Feeling JT style prod on it. Um, I would... Say versus Desire. Desire feels like a younger brother to Shine to me. Yeah. It doesn't stand out as its own kind of thing as much as I love it. Um, so I'm going to go The weekend on this one and make it two versus two. Oh, you know what? I don't think I'm going to disagree with you on this one. Wow. I do like Desire, Same. but Desire to me is one of the songs on the record that could blend into just like the... British um, pop scene like our sexy fish crew as we've discussed <laughs> the Rita Auras and Jess Glynns of the world so uh, yeah whereas Can't Feel My Face was the moment where you could feel the weekend was like you know what I could be a superstar if I wanted to yep. let's, let's give it a go with a song about cocaine <laughs> nonetheless <laughs> but yeah just like Max Martin perfection and that part that Max and weekend partnership has just been like so fruitful so good and one of the greatest of our of certainly of my lifetime um, so yeah it would be silly to go with desire over this and I think that I think years and years would probably agree good words two from two thank you 2015 what a year Thank you very much. I feel like it, like we gave a little bit of context about why we put this album in the flop box at the start, but one flop of the major box sounds like Dropbox, which I love. <laughs> flop box. We should make yeah. that a thing. We should trademark that. We are start. Yeah, we, we're gonna. Our next venture is starting a cloud services platform. <laughs> it's a it's a natural fit from doing a silly little podcast. Um, <laughs> But British British pop music has a troubled history with trying to break into the US. Um, wh- why do you think that is? And why do you think that years and years haven't really been able to buck that trend? Yeah, it's a good question. And it's a hard one to answer. Mm. I would... I'd just say it's a difference in culture, obviously. Um, a yeah. difference in its ability to resonate a lot of the time. I think there's a little bit of a, there's a bit of an anti-British sentiment as well that's sort of like subconsciously in the US mindset as well. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that hasn't stopped people like Sam Smith from managing to break past that despite, you know, Sam Smith being a, a non-binary queer person. Um, yeah. You know, it hasn't stopped a number of acts, but I but think... I do wonder, like, whether Adele and Sam Smith break through because of their very, like, um, 
relatable ballad territory mm. whereas it whereas it wasn't really like sam smith's dance music that was breaking f- through no and and from what i can tell the dance music sam smith's doing now isn't breaking through it's not i mean diamonds had a very mild moment right but, um whereas in australia but in, not really yeah in and the uk it was a huge moment yeah um at because i just think that dance pop that leans further to the club side is yep. just more um, familiar to a British and Australian audience. Whereas the U S audiences have always gone for like more of an urban sound. Yeah. That's, that's potentially why I think either urban or very like singer songwriter. hundred percent. The, the dance thing is certainly very new to the U S I mean, their minds were kind of blown when EDM arrived and it had already been happening like in British dance culture for decades so they didn't know what to I do think with just, it and they found they this, really didn't they found this distilled version of it which kind of then went into this like dance hall trap kind of combo and that was yeah. kind of where the sweet spot was because it kind of had yeah. a little bit of a latin influence and that was something that american radio could get on board with and understand um but yeah it's, it's actually really interesting looking at what they kind of did when they couldn't deny edm a place on the radio anymore um but i think you know this music this music is potentially a little bit too um just a little bit too light and breezy for american radio i think the other thing yeah. with american radio is it needs to hit hard whether that be through really hard production um which you know lends itself to hip hop a lot more or whether it's through really stripped back raw vocally led production um this stuff sits I- too far in the middle of those two things yeah, I totally agree. I'm just just interested to know from you, like, what obviously Dua and like a number of British kind of dancier records came through, broke through in the the US last year. Mm. Do you feel like it could go as far? Like, why does a record like MNEK's um, "Head and My Head and My Heart"? I think that's what it's called, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, head and heart. Yeah. yeah. Head and heart. Why do you reckon that doesn't work here? But, but like, Don't Start Now or Break My Heart by Dua does. That's a really interesting question. Um, I think the thing with Head and Heart is it's a very London song. It's got a real yeah. London house feeling to it. And there's a lot yeah. of songs coming through at the moment with that London sound that are working in Australia as well. Um, yeah. Friday by Riton and Nightcrawlers. Um, there's the Rita Ora's Bang is starting to work in Australia on radio, which is <laughs> there fucking we go. incredible. Um, you know, Roses by... Uh, but, but then you look at, like, Roses by Armin Beck and St. John, which I know was a big hit on that American radio. It. That worked, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Very strange, isn't it? I think is... Yeah, is it something to do with the fact that Roses has that, you know, hip-hop element to it as well because it's a rapper, essentially? Yeah. Maybe um, House is just creeping in much slower here. Yeah. And look, I reckon there's a potential with Head and Heart that it hasn't been rinsed yet and that it's potentially going to be a u.s summer release um yeah as your as the american uh clubs reopen i see this morning that texas is going back to 100 percent capacity at all hospitality venues (laughs) and and an executive order to overturn the mask man yeah that seems very clever yeah that seems great 
Um, look, yeah, but you, you raise a really good point. Not all of the, you know, dance radio hits that hit in the US, in the UK and Australia managed to cross over, even if they're like undeniable smashes. Um, yeah. And I, I honestly don't know the answer to that. It could be a space thing. It could be a we've only got room for one song like this at a time kind of thing. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Because it's funny because now years and years are kind of like Glastonbury main stage um, really mainstream in the UK mm. and then they'll come over to the US and I saw them play a couple of years ago um, and they just played like a pretty modest venue and they're certainly in the alternative pop box in the US. It's just um, so interesting that you can have such differing opinions on a on an act and where they sit. They're doing like the little sort of theatres and stuff, aren't they? Like those sort of... Yeah. Yeah, which, yeah. which is... And I remember when I was in the, in the States, you know, saw like Troy Sivan in a, in a venue like that where you've got a fan base that's going to come and sell out the show, but you're not setting the country on fire yet. Not huge yet. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. So, so interesting. Fascinating Speaking stuff. of interesting, what's your game? Oh, it's called um, King or Another King. So I'm going to give you, um, so I'm going to give you, it's another song game and I will give you yeah. a song that goes up against King by years and years or yeah. a band with King in their name that has to go up against or an artist with King in their name and a song by them okay. that goes up against King. All right. So you might find this. I can already this, think of one. Well, I've got one that I think is really going to challenge King and some other ones that I think are going to, be pretty obvious for you so you're ready for this okay cool let's go first one is ava max kings and queens not part two featuring saweetie and lau the original kings and queens a radio smash in america <laughs> see had you done part two it would have been an easy win for me <laughs> but um the, <laughs> the og no, Definitely King. I, I am coming around to Aves, but so, um, Aves. Kings and Queens is not it for me. Wow. Not it at all. Okay. You know what? Um, when Zara Larson last week released that song, Look What You've Done, all I had in my head was that Ava Max song that's like, look what you've done. Look what you've done to me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And I wished it was that. So I must be softening. You are really going to become one of the great avatars of our time. <laughs> I think ABA. I've got my bloody work cut out being a Kelly Clarkson and Pink status. <laughs> I can't add a third to my There's so wheelhouse. much going on. <laughs> okay, you ready for the second one? It's going to be a difficult one. King Kunta, Kendrick Lamar versus King by Years and Years. Which is higher for you? Wow, I wouldn't have even considered this. Yeah. See, this is the thing. Both around very similar times, extremely different vibes. Yeah, both amazing. Um, it's, I was actually, I only just went back onto Pimp a Butterfly last week. Hmm. <sighs> Bloody hell. What? Um, I love making it hard for you. Based on what I'm going to go back and listen to more, King. Wow. Okay, I wasn't yeah. expecting that for some reason. I've still got to stump you then. I've still got to get you with this. It, I've got, it's really close. It's, I've uh, got three more ideas for you. Okay, just keep going. I'll mull over. Okay, that one. next one. Kings of Leon, the band. The <laughs> Kings of Leon. But just the whole band versus. No, King. I'll give you one song Sex on Fire, oh. their hit. Oh. 
their biggest hit. Sex on Fire, one of the great rock songs of the noughties, <laughs> versus King by Years and Years. I do really like Kings of Leon. God, you're sad. Hey, actually, you know what? I heard, you know what I listened to yesterday? Out of my own choice, Revelry what? by Kings of Leon. Yeah, Revelry is a great song. Smasher. One of the all time, the revered Kings of Leon hit, Revelry. Yes. Revelry. Bianca, our silent producer, once made me go up on stage at a club on the Gold Coast of all places and belt out the chorus of Sex on Fire. So I do have PTSD. Was it a karaoke night or are you just up there belting it, it out? It was with not no a karaoke <laughs> night. So just up there. <laughs> you know what? I, if you'd asked me this question back in my peak Kings of Leon days when King didn't exist, it may have been an easy decision, but um, I've got to go with King on this one. Good choice. Good choice. Um, look, there's a couple more here, and I think I'm going to get you by the end. I'm coming home strong. Next one is King <laughs> Princess, 1950. Here Versus we go. King by years oh. and years. Love King Princess. Don't like 1950. What if I said King, King Princess Talia versus... Don't love Talia. Do you don't love Talia? Nah. Oh, my God. I mean, I'm sure Talia's lovely. She is, but... Uh, no, I'm more of like a, a hit the back fan or a cheap queen. That's the shit that I Yeah, see, this is where you and I differ. Yeah, no, I'm not here for that stuff. In fact, those two songs would actually annoy me. Um, really? Hit the back annoys you? Oh, hit the back's all right. Um, anyway. You can hit the It's king. Road. <laughs> you can hit the, I'll hit you into the wall. Um, all right, last one. Ready? Mm. Sean Kingston... Beautiful girls. <laughs> Coming home. Absolutely no question. Beautiful girls. Yes! One of the best songs of all time. Surely. <laughs> it's so good. I know! J.O. Sean Kingston. You had me in denial. In denial. We need more do we need more do what songs, I feel like. Beautiful girls, fuck you, CeeLo Green. Like that vibe. All I want everyone that base, on that, on that wave. <laughs> Hits like that. <laughs> I am a trainer stainer. So well, I'm glad I got you definitely in. Definitely. Bring back all about that. What base. did you just call yourself? A trainer stainer? <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> One of our, our big fans of the podcast, Jono, we decided one day that we had to stand somebody who was difficult to stand. Um, and we landed on Megan Trainer, and we had to go through her entire new album and find one song that we were going to stand particularly hard. <laughs> and now we call ourselves the Trainer Stainers and we share news about Megan Trainer relentlessly. I do love that idea. That, on Jesse Ware's Table Manners podcast where they share their feelings about um, food and they've had some very passionate guests on there and they've always got some fancy restaurant that they love in, in New York or London. Megan Trainer's favourite London restaurant was Pizza Express. <laughs> <laughs> because it was across the road from her hotel room, which she didn't leave. I respect that. <laughs> very relatable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very Eagle Boys pizza energy for the Australian listeners. That's incredible. Um, 
that was a, that was fun. Thank you for taking that on, and I'm glad I could get you at the end. That's okay. No problem. Thank you for indulging me. <laughs> All right, let's move on from communion and let's talk a little bit about Palo Alto, um, which was the follow-up record. Came a few years later and Oli kind of admitted that it was a difficult period for the band and they definitely felt the weight of the sophomore slump. What's your opinion on that album and how it compares to communion? Um... It definitely had some redeemable qualities and you could see some evolution happening for them. Um, yeah. You know, visually and also, you know, sonically as well. I remember being very excited about the album, but jumping into it and just being like, there's a couple of real smashes in this and the rest is yeah. a little bit foddery, um, which is interesting to think about. But the songs that are really, really good, I mean, If You're Over Me is a, a perfect pop song and in fact i didn't listen yeah. to it coming into the podcast um but i'm like getting an itch to go and listen to that really loud now i know it so, always creeps up yeah me. um yeah. so i love that i really love the um the song with Amenik valentino as well it's just fun yeah. ollie and and Amenik are, are really good friends and you know cheeky cheeky queers and have a lot of fun <laughs> making music together and that song JK. is an example of it jk um and I love the song with Jax Jones as well, Play, um, which is, is really good. Um, Palo Santo, the song itself is fantastic. All For You is great. I'm looking All through this. All For You is so good. So good. So, yeah, yeah there's some great See, songs. I was the same as you. I wasn't on board with it, but I've gone back recently and I was like, I was too harsh on this. Was the problem with Palo Alto then, was, was it a time when mu- pop music was a bit cluttered and there's a bit too uh-huh. much going on? Maybe that, or that it wasn't, uh, it wasn't going in um, years and years' direction. I feel like that kind of like clubby electro pop high tempo stuff wasn't really happening. Yep. And if you're over me is a good example of that because in my I don't know if this is how it works, but that's the Steve Mac co-produce on the record. Yeah. And it's definitely a more demure sound than the rest of it. Very bare boned. Um, in the like kind of vein of the Justin Bieber, Ed Sheeran, Rita Ora stuff that was going on then. Yeah. So I do wonder if it was just too like big for the mainstream at that point. But now actually yeah. I think it works extremely well in the context of what was happening last year. I think it's very good and it's definitely prime time now for years and years to make their return. I think the one thing that's very good about that record, what it did for them is it really made it very clear what they stand for and what kind of music they want to make. Yep. And it was a quite a powerful album. And like, obviously a lot of the stuff that Ollie did around it was extremely powerful in terms of that, like speech he made at Glastonbury that went viral. And so it wasn't necessarily about the music, but I think it was an important point for them to develop as personalities, even though we have talked about the story not being the most important part, but well, you touched on by something, the second album. You touched on to. something critical about the story when we talked about it, it not being about the story at the start. You said that story can develop and the story... Yeah. And I think that's the thing. If you've not got a story building after two or three albums and you're just known for songs, um, I've got plenty of acts in my mind I'm thinking about who have nothing to say but have put out three albums, three bodies of work. They have nothing to actually say. Nothing. That's not fair. Megan Trainer expressed her <laughs> love for Pizza <laughs> Express. Megan Trainer's like top five nicest pop stars I've ever met. Can I just say? 
absolute I angel. It. Absolute angel. Yeah. So much love for her. Anyway, we're not talking about her today. We need to do Megan Train. Go at some and point. stream the Love Train Express or whatever. <laughs> well, we should. The, I'm the gonna. Love. I'm putting it on the list. What album? The new one that had that really great song with Mike Sabbath on it. Wave. I'm um, I'm not turning up to the Zoom Wave. session. I'll do it, do it on my own. <laughs> oh no, Wave is very good. Wave. Yeah. Me that could wave. And other such hits. Um, <laughs> and that terrible one with um, uh, Nicki Minaj. Uh, nice to meet you. I like that song. No, it's I awful. I love that song. It's good tracks there. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Megan Drain has hijacked the podcast. As she should. <laughs> <laughs> Back to years and years. I, I can't remember where we were, so I'm just <laughs> going to say that I feel like it's a really perfect time in music right now for them to return, and particularly with It's a Sin as well. I think everybody should be aware of who Ollie Alexander is and what he stands for and how powerful he is as a public persona and how important their music is going to be now. And I, and I feel like Communion definitely was just a, a pop record and you couldn't read too much into what it had to say. Yep. I think by Palo Alto, they were starting to develop a real voice, but I think in this one, they're going to have a pretty profound voice um, and also make absolute bangers that are just going to like soundtrack our return to the clubs, hopefully. So yeah. I think it's a really exciting time to be years and years right now. Absolutely. I would love to see some more kind of dives towards those throwback elements. I'd love to hear some Pet Shop Boys elements in there. I'd love to hear some, some Elton in there, some George Michael and Wham vibes in there. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, taking some of those disco queens as well, um, you know, pull in a bit of the Grace Jones element. And I just feel like there's all these, like, all these acts that the band have sort of, you know, that, that kind of were relevant to the band that haven't sort of influenced. And I'm, I'm not really always about, you know, taking influence from the past. I love acts that are just willing to do their own thing. But I just yeah. think they, as a trio, lend themselves really well to making that kind of music. And I'd love to hear a little bit of that. But also hear some big, loud, breathable, synthy bangers as well. Um, I've just got a yeah. good feeling about this. And obviously we got some new music recently with their cover of um, It's a Sin by the Pet Shop Boys to commemorate the, the TV show coming out. Um, yeah. which was just nice to see something new pop up on their Spotify for the first time in two and a it half was years. Nice. <laughs> I think Ollie said too, they were making quite a heavy record. And once the pandemic hits, he decided it's not what we needed. Um, so they've gone back to the drawing board and then making big euphoric bangers, which I think is the right, I love that. right decision. Yeah. It can't be long. Nobody it can't be long. Needs. I feel like it's a sim will work in the U S and, all the stuff yeah. they have to do that Ollie has to do for that. And then I think it'll be music time by mid-year is my kind of estimate of when we'll start to hear new years and years music. And I'll be very ready for yeah. it. I love it. All right. Are you ready for me to take you to church? Oh, is this the game we're doing? This is yeah. the foresight you gave me earlier when you were like, let's get into religion later. I'm like, all right. He comes, yeah. he comes. <laughs> no, we're not really going to get into Pastor much. Murphy yeah. has arrived. I have converted and uh, this, I just want to take 10 minutes at the end of every podcast just to tell you all about our Lord and our Savior. Lord. <laughs> Did you know that G- I got a little slip in the mail this week? No no disrespect to um, those who follow the um, the teachings of the Bible, but I got a little slip the in line. the mail this week that was, 
<laughs> I got a little slip in the mail this week. I'm doing a little action for slipping something in the mailbox. So pretending you're that poking me with your mail. Over Zoom. And it just it was just a little slip that says, "Did you know Jesus died for your sins?" That was it. <laughs> Nothing else, and a little picture of a Bible. No like further information or anything. Just that. I was like, "Thanks. Good update." Great. They were like, "Go deliver it to the queer up the hill." <laughs> <laughs> Get him. Get him. <laughs> Suck him. <laughs> yeah, take him to church. So it has nothing to do with Hosier, but Hosier's Take Me to Church was very popular in 2015. What a god awful this song. This is. They. Ollie has some kind of fascination with the. Um, with the symbolism of religion, yeah. hence communion. Um, they have a lot of songs that are based on. Um, on religious iconography. Yep. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to either give you a quote from the Bible or a quote from a Years and Years song, Ooh. and you need to tell me what it's from. This is going to be hard. I can tell. Just let you know there was a lot of Googling involved. I do not know any of these Bible verses off my heart. <laughs> well, I did go to a Catholic school for seven years, so... I, uh, I've eaten the body of Christ, a.k.a. a small piece of rice paper. <laughs> they give it to you. When you go to church, they give you the communion. And I know. They go, Here's, do you take the body of Christ who died for your sins? And you say, amen. And then you take the, you take the body of Christ, which is just a little rice paper, um, edible yeah. rice paper thing. It looks like dry skin. And then when you're an adult, you're allowed to drink the wine, which is um, just Ribena. So... <laughs> They missed a perfect promotional opportunity years and years. They should have like taken over a church for a Sunday and for communion, given them the album communion instead of actual communion. That would have been so smart. Activation. Yeah. Polydor, if you need some ideas for albums, let us know. Yeah. (laughs) All right. What's the first one? (laughs) The first one is when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. Through deep waters, I will be with you. Doesn't ring a bell as any from my traumatic childhood, so I don't. <laughs> um, when you go through waters, I will be with you. I feel like that's a nice. Oh, uh, it feels a little bit too sappy for years and years. I'm gonna go Bible for that. You're right. Yes, it's Bible. Just felt a little bit too basic for Ollie's writing. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Bible, great. Do you know which book of the Bible it was in? It was. It was Isaiah um, 43, 2. Oh, one of the great great chapters. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Next one. Let my lover come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. (laughs) This is definitely years and years. It's not years and years. It's the Bible. Oh, my God. The Bible's quite gay at points. The Bible's very gay. Let's be real. The Bible's extremely gay. And that's the quote that I'll be using for the podcast this week. The next one is, you'll find redemption when all this is through. Father, forgive me for finding the truth. That's a very George Michael-esque lyric. Therefore, I feel like a years and years-esque lyric. I'm going to go with years and years on that one. That is, that's sanctified. Yes! Next one. I'm great at this game. Peace I leave peace I leave you with, my peace I give you. Peace I leave you with, my peace I give you. Peace I leave you. That sounds very there's a lot of repetition in the Bible. Um yes, I'm playing with a piece of blue tack, I don't know why. 
Um, it's like a stress ball. The yeah, looks fun. Thanks. Um, I feel like that's a biblical lyric. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Bible for that one. You're correct. That is from John four twenty seven. You're doing very well. John, more like John four twenty blazer. Yeah, thanks, <laughs> thanks, Nan and Mum for subsidising my childhood in primary school. <laughs> Too bad it turned out gay. <laughs> in the cool light, they whispered to me, "Take it all." In the cool light, they whispered to me, "Take it all." Oh, that's really hard. In the cool light, they whispered to me, take it all. That sounds too smart to be in the Bible. It's definitely an Ollie Alexander special. That's years and years. <laughs> That's correct. It's years and years yes, from I... Hypnotize. Oh, how many more is there? Because I feel like I'm going to get a clean slate, like a clean run. No, you've already got one wrong. What? When did I get one wrong? No, I didn't. Um, no? Yeah, not. you did. You, no. got the, you got the garden, come into his garden one wrong. Oh. oh yeah. Sorry. Okay. Okay, next one is weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Ooh, that's very biblical, but also, yeah, that's a hard one. I'm going to go, I'll go years and years for that. That's the Bible. Oh, that's no. Psalm 35. Some 30. I used to love the Psalms. Five. I'd read the Psalms and go and like try and imagine a melody in my head for the psalms because yeah, they're like roughly there's some rhymed. good pop lyrics in the psalms from my research that i was doing Literally. today yeah emerging pop stars if you're stuck for lyrics fuck a thesaurus off go to the psalms yeah. section of the head bible straight to the bible yeah. back to where it all began that's my advice final one she increased her whoring remembering the days of her youth <laughs> when she played the whore <laughs> I know that's from the Bible. <laughs> they love talking about whores in the Bible. They love it. Love it. Unbelievable. That is. That's from Ezekiel. Fuck you, Ezekiel. Uh, um. Fuck you, Zeke. <laughs> you prick. <laughs> you misso. <laughs> Jesus. So, again, apologies to all our Catholic listeners. Exactly. Um, unfortunately, I feel like we may... <laughs> Have um, lost a few friends, essentially, but, but that's okay. Each their own. Yeah. We support you all. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> Best and worst songs on communion oh. and a score out of ten. <laughs> I thought you were gonna, I thought you were gearing up for a really fucked quote. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's done. That's over. That game. Um. Okay. I'm gonna go for best song. Is such a difficult one because I want to say I want to say King, but I also can't knock off memos incredibleness yeah memo is just a beautiful beautiful song if you haven't heard that song if you're kind of still scratching the surface of years and years um go go look at memo because that's a just an amazing ballad um that they did i would honestly say the worst song oh so yeah out of i'm gonna have to say best song is king just because it's the moment it's the moment. Yeah. Um, worst song would be 1977. I think just because I don't know if it needs to be there. Um, I can't work out whether that was on the deluxe. Yeah. That was only a deluxe. I'm pretty sure it's deluxe because yeah. I think Memo is the last song on the album. See, you've got a perfect album there. With but the it's, yeah, it's bloody hot. Yeah, they could have knocked off the deluxe. Yeah. We didn't need Ready For You Acoustic or no, Desire with Tuve Low. I don't mind that. That's fun. No, that's quite good. That's a bit yeah. of fun. Yeah. Sorry. 
I would have to give the album. This is going to be a really. I'm going to give this album a nine. I think it's yep. only non-redeeming qualities, and as we've said, oh, it's, I was wondering where that noise is coming out of. I've just hit play on Take Shelter on my phone. <laughs> it's only it's only struggles. I think it possibly could have been a tiny bit more daring, but again, we've had the we've had the conversation about not having to reinvent the wheel every time. But I just think there was potentially a little bit more room to go a bit harder on a couple of the tracks, um, yeah, or maybe even throw a couple more full ballads in there. You know, just something, just take it away from the middle of the road every now and then. Um, I can't really fault it other than that. You know, every song yeah. has a place. Every song is fun. Every song has its moment. Um, yeah, it's kind of it's a really great album. It's a nine. Yeah, I've well, I'll give a score out of ten too. So give me, I'm just going to agree with you. I reckon it's a nine out of ten as well. Yeah, I think it's only age better, and like the, every single song on the standard, as we said, is really good. Ties maybe is one that I'm not crazy yeah, about. Yeah, I was going like, to say that's that too. Just picking at straws. Um, my favorite song is I think King is hard to go by, but if yep. King if we take King out of the running, I really like Gold and I really like Border. Yep. Um and then I really like Shine as well. And Real. I love I'll, that. Yeah. Great thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> worst song tie I'll go worst song ties on the standard. Um, let us know at Nick W. Kelly and at Sam underscore interns what you rate the album and if you disagree with our worst and best. Like, if you're a big Ties stan, let us know that we're wrong. Um, if you think there's a better out song than King on there, let us know on Twitter as well. Um, yeah. And before we leave you, make sure you hit um, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. We're not leaving yet. But We've I got know, to do our flop of the week. But, oh, yeah, actually, let's do flop of the week first. <laughs> then I'll do all the other maintenance. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Halfway out the bloody door. No, I was, I, I'm excited <laughs> about something I need to tell you in a second. Oh, no, okay. You, right, you run the ship here. You said flop of the oh week. Oh, my God, so did someone leave flop. a review? They did. They left a review. <gasps> okay, Can let's do it? that first. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Soupboy666, who left a review last week yeah. called The Perfect Pop Pod. Five stars. Wow. Soupboy666, oh. I'm going to presume is a he. That's probably problematic, but I don't care. That's problematic. I regularly repeat things that are said on this podcast to people at parties, so they may be tricked into thinking I not only have a wealth of pop music knowledge, but that I'm also very <laughs> funny and great at articulating nuanced music opinions. It's working so far. Thanks, Nick and Sam. That's so damn lovely. That's very nice. But we should note nothing's fact-checked that we say Nothing on here, is so fact-checked. Don't be spreading this information too far afield. A lot of it's prefaced with, I think, and I'm pretty <laughs> yeah. sure. And then we go back and look at it. Like, don't if we take... say before the sentence, it's interesting, <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> falsified. <laughs> I think, um, very interestingly... Um, I think the most fact factually interesting thing that we've done is when I said that uh, that uh, Mike Pence had changed his head of picture on Twitter to an image of Joe Biden and um, Dr. Biden when it was actually just yes. a photo of him and his wife. Um, which... And I said that Fauci was getting rid of support apps. Yes, that's right. Before concerts. <laughs> so don't take everything we say as fact. Um, let, yeah, let's do our flop of the week. So sometimes flop we, of the week. we flip the script. We look at the album from the past, but we also want to, you know, keep you focused on amazing new pop music that's out there that we reckon should be getting more ears. So it doesn't end up a flop um, that we look back on in a couple of years' time. What's your pick this week? 
Uh, I'm going for um, the LEO song with Charlie XCX now, Charger. Charger. I'll take it with or without Charlie, to be honest. I think it's just a great song. Does it have another really interesting really. co-writer on it? Um, potentially does, let me see. Yeah. I, I'm, um, I'm really... No one I recognise, unless you know Brett McLaughlin. Yeah, that's... um. Or Andy Seltz. Brett McLaughlin is Leland, so wrote like... Oh, writes most okay. of the stuff with Troy Sivan. All right. Um, wrote yeah. Kings and Queens. Wrote Bing Bang Bong. And wrote Bing Bang Bong. He wrote UK Han. Yeah. So yeah, superstar cast on that. Um, worked on all the yeah. early Daya stuff as well. Daya's got a really great new song called Bad Girl. That's not my that's not my flop of yeah. the week, but that's a great song that should be getting some more love. I just saw when I was looking at when we we're talking about radio and what radio is playing in the US at the moment. I just went onto the um, the log thing that shows you what they're playing. And I saw that yeah. Kiss FM in LA is playing Day of Bad Girl, which is really exciting. Oh, wow. So that's, oh, that's good. That's awesome. That's the closest thing to a dance yeah. song they're playing at the moment, by the way. Everything is hip hop. Um, oh, wow. Or driver's license. My flop of the week is <laughs> the incredible Zara Larson and her remarkable new song, Look What You've Done. Um, yeah. Look what you've done to me. <laughs> no, that is Ava Everything Max. I want a reminder, <laughs> that is Ava Max. Um, this was such a good bloody song. I think it's just, it's perfect. It's ABBA-esque. Um, it's back to, excuse me. It's back to that lush life kind of thing. It's just fun, unadulted pop music yeah. with a bit of a disco tinge to it. She sounds perfect on it. Um, Poster Girl is out this Friday. I have a really good fucking feeling about that album. And I have a good feeling about it's what this be song's going to do for her. I really think this might be that little moment that we almost thought was possibly impossible for her to get another radio yeah. hit. I think she might have it in her, at least in the UK and Australia. With could what she's done. It could happen. Um, and if we've learned anything from talking about years and years, what do you do when the album is not... You don't think it's going to hit with the public? Get Steve Mack on board. <laughs> Get a song produced by Steve Mack. Take it to the radio. That's the thing with Zara. She's still batting above her weight, even though she's kind of dropped a tear in her level of pop star. Um, as we kind oh, of yeah, unpacked. she's got Julia Michaels and Justin Tranter all over yeah. this new album. People... Yeah. Uh, she's still batting above her weight, and I hope that Poster Girl really elevates her again, and I've got a good feeling about it now, which is cool. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, we'll just leave you at a cheeky um, one hour and 14 minutes. Exactly. We're done with this. That has flown. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, make We've sure you hit subscribe on the uh, Apple Podcasting <laughs> app if you go via that. Um, on Spotify, it's the follow button. Um, and share it with a friend if you like it. Thanks again to the Reddit popheads who shared last week's episode um, and those that ripped us yes, apart. Yes. Keep doing it. Yeah, keep share doing it every it. week. Keep ripping spam. us apart. No, don't spam. Just yeah, yeah. Um, also, it. fact check from last week. I need to apologise for um, thinking that you were r that I was wrong. The website was wrong when it said a full tire scholarship. I thought it said full time scholarship. <laughs> it said full tire scholarship. Turns out full tire scholarship is a thing. Um, thank you yeah. to the incredible person on Twitter whose name escapes me that let me know of that information. It was really appreciated. Please fact check us because as we just discussed, we usually have incorrect factual information. <laughs> but it makes it a bit funner so we're not going to stop yes we're not going to up the ante not at all not at all alright have a great week guys right. we'll be back with you Cheerio. next Thursday jump on jump on board listen to some great pop this week bye bye, bye. bye.